0: you have a scripture with you, I invite you to turn in it to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John. We're going to begin reading at verse 28 of John 18. Then read through. Our text of this morning, I think I said 28, it's 33 is where I'm beginning. John 18 verse 33, let's hear God's breathed out word to us this morning. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and went out bearing his own cross to a place called the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this Inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. As far as the reading of God's word this morning, let's again bow in prayer. Father, we pray that you open our hearts to receive this word and give Pastor Bob what is needed to explain the truths found within it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. As we read through the gospel accounts, we find that there are a number of items that we are called and calls us to our attention that are there at Golgotha upon that. Day of crucifixion. We know there are words spoken. We know there are people there in attendance. These things are are also before us in the gospel, but there are also certain items. There's that crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus' head, that's there. There is the cross itself. There are jars of wine, of various types that are there. There is Jesus' clothing at the foot of the cross that the soldiers are casting lots over. And one other item that we'll look at this morning that is there, all four Gospels tell us it was there as well, and that's a sign. Sign, an inscription as John refers to it here in John 19. An inscription that reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That's why I went back and started reading in. John chapter 18, because it's from that section on that that word king appears over and over. And the term king of the Jews appears over and over. It's that which Pilate continually uses. It's that which the soldiers used to taunt him with. And now it's on a sign that hangs on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. I want to look at four things in regards to that sign this morning. First of all, the purpose of it. Why is there a sign there at all? Secondly, the words that appear on the sign. Thirdly, the dispute that occurs over this particular sign. And then fourthly, the message that the sign conveys. First of all, the purpose. It's Roman justice. That's what's at work here. Jesus is not unique in having a sign. The two thieves on either side of him have a sign as well. Every man who is condemned to death by means of crucifixion, we know for sure, was paraded to the place of crucifixion with somebody holding a placard going on before them, giving the name and giving the crime. You see, Rome is a law, is an empire of law and order. We just don't kill people randomly. We just don't kill people for whatever we decide to kill them for. You, you see, we kill them because they've committed a crime. They have done something wrong. Of course, uh, we see through the message of that, don't we? And that is you can manufacture a crime for anybody you desire to get rid of. If you don't like the person and you feel them to be a threat, then you can invent a crime and you can come up with all sorts of false charges and fake charges, but you look like a nation of law and order. Rome did, to a certain degree, seek to do that. Be an empire of law and order. That's why these condemned men would would have this sign telling us who they are, And what is their crime? See, we're a civilized empire administering justice. So if we ask, what's the purpose? The purpose is to show Rome as an empire of justice. But there's a second reason in there, in that Rome used this as a means of warning. This was a way of conveying to those who are standing along roadsides, who come and to a crucifixion and look at the one who is being executed and they see the placard, they see the sign and it comes to them as a warning don't you dare don't you dare violate our rules and law don't you dare violate our authority or the same is going to happen to you you're a thief, you're a petty thief you think you can get away from stealing a little bit here and there maybe not fully paying your taxes see these two men this is what happens to thieves and robbers. See what happens to the rebellious? See what happens to those who would rise up against the authority of Rome? See them there? That's what's going to happen to each one of you. If you dare stand against Rome's authority. yeah. There, there's a warning there. There was a means by which Rome is putting others underneath their thumb by the execution of these individuals in the most horrific manner. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Go against our authority. That's the purpose of the sign. It's not to be nice. It's not to be kind. It's not to give us something to talk about, not from Rome's point of view. It was to show them as an empire of justice and to show a warning. But then let's look at what Pilate has written. If we look at chapter 19, okay, John, who is the eyewitness there at the cross, the other gospel writers are not there. They, they were not there, and so they give it to us in summary fashion. They give it to us in order to get the point of cross, of the fact there was a sign and what was going on. But John, who has probably spent hours at this cross, looking at Jesus, and you can't help but look at Jesus, but also to see the inscription and the sign. He tells us what's there. These are the words. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And what are we told about those words? First of all, we're told they were written in three languages. That does seem to be unique. That doesn't seem to be the pattern that Rome typically followed. But here... For whatever reason, Pilate decides that this inscription needs to be in three specific languages. First of all, Aramaic, which is the common language of the day. Most of the people who live in Judea at this particular time, who live in Galilee at this particular moment in history, speak Aramaic. This is their common tongue. This this is what they grow up learning in their homes. So in order to catch all that that might be coming upon this day, those who, who would be most familiar with Aramaic, the Jews themselves, Pilate wants to make sure they get the message. But it's also written in Latin. The official language of Rome. This is the legalese. This is the, the stuff, not to, not to get in over my head, but this is the stuff when you get the documents and say, I have no idea. I just went for a simple will or trust. I don't know what this says. Okay? It's like in a different language. There's big words and so on. Well, that's the way Latin was used in those days. It, it wasn't the language of communication. It was the language of law. And so, Pilate, wanting to demonstrate that Rome is a land or an empire of law, puts it in Latin. Here is the official language. And then it's written as well in Greek. Why? Because this is Passover. And people are coming from all over the Roman Empire. Jews. To celebrate Passover. People who grew up in Egypt who probably don't know Aramaic. People who have grown up in Rome who don't know Aramaic. People who are in the wide reaches of the Roman Empire. Jews who are coming for this particular Passover. They don't know their Aramaic and they may not care about Roman. But everybody speaks Greek. It's the language of the culture. It's the language of the world. It's the language of commerce. If you're going to do business, you need to be fluent in Greek in order to survive. So, for the commoner, the people who are native to the area, Aramaic. To make sure the legal aspect of this is done under Rome, it's in Latin. To make sure we Catch with a large net all those who are coming from foreign countries for this Passover in Greek. Three languages. We are told as well, many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. This wasn't just read by a few people. Many. And as I've already alluded to, and as the passage tells us, we're in the time of Passover. In Jerusalem, on Passover, there could be hundreds of thousands who come. This is one of the main things you as a Jew have to come on a regular basis to attend. In the Old Testament, it was required that every male came. They've kind of made it a little more lenient over the course of time. After all, if you live way off somewhere in Rome, for example, to come once a year for Passover, it's going to get a little pricely and costly and probably not going to happen. So they've lessened it, but, but that still ought to be a passion of yours. There should ought to be that desire to go to Jerusalem to celebrate a Passover. Yes, you can do it in your own home. But doing it in Jerusalem, well, that had special, in their view, spiritual significance. So hundreds of thousands of people would journey to Jerusalem. Many read the sign. (laughs) Pilate knows what he's doing. Let me get the message out. Let me get out the message, not just to you Jews in Judea. Let me get that message out to those of you Jews, well, as we read in Acts chapter 2, where they had come from for Pentecost, Cappadocia, and all over the Roman Empire. You go back, you go back and tell your fellow Jewish people what you just witnessed regarding the king of the Jews. What you just saw. Remember, you're under Roman rule. Many Many read it. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Secondly, or thirdly, there is the statement that is made. It's pretty point blank. Jesus of Nazareth. We are identifying the person. Who is this person behind this placard? Who is this person that's carrying the cross to Golgotha? This one, this one. Is Jesus and he's Jesus of Nazareth. Do you find anything interesting about that considering the passage we read? Remember, Pilate asked the question, Where are you from? Jesus didn't answer him. There there and, and when Jesus and when he talks about his kingdom, Jesus says, My kingdom. It's not of this world. Do you realize what Pilate is doing by saying Jesus of Nazareth? He's denying that which he has just heard from Jesus own mouth. He is limiting Jesus to an earthly place. To an earthly town. And Jesus has told him pretty point blank. Not from here. Not from here. But you see, Pilate wasn't, doesn't want to deal with that. Pilate doesn't want to deal with the spiritual nature of Christ. He wants to make him as much of a man as he can make him into. He wants to draw him down to this earth. And he wants to keep him confined to this earth. He does not want to recognize that Jesus has a spiritual kingdom. And that Jesus is from beyond. Meaning he is from glory. You don't want to deal with that. Who is this man? This is Jesus of Nazareth. But it's interesting what Pilate then does. Because what follows is not just who is the criminal, but what is the crime. Notice how, G- how Pilate writes this, the king of the Jews. That's his crime. His crime is that he is the king of the Jews. That's the charge against him. That's what Pilate sees as the great atrocity. That's what Pilate is seeing as the reason for which he needs to be executed. He is the king of the Jews. That's the crime. Now, some would say, well, he's not really listing a crime, is he? He's not like like the two guys on the side, whatever their names were, charge robber, charge malefactor, charge thief, whatever way Pilate chose to write that inscription. How is the king of the Jews... A crime. If it was, it's kind of interesting because he just became best friends with a guy named Herod who is the king of the Jews. At least as Rome recognizes him. So how could that be a crime? Remember what Pilate has been doing in this whole exchange? I find no crime. I don't find him guilty. I don't see what, you're, what, you're, what I'm supposed to charge him with. I, I, I find this man innocent. He's tried over and over and over because he recognizes that. So what is the crime? The king of the Jews. That's the term I'll use. It's, it's Pilate, once again, waffling. It's Pilate attempting in, in this designation that should list the crime to kind of play it in both ro- Both worlds to have a a foot on either side, to to somewhat try to appease the Jews, to somewhat look legal, but yet as well trying to wash my hands of this whole matter. King of the Jews. So there it is. There's the sign. Written in those languages, many people reading it, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. We might say, okay, but boy, does this lead to a conflict? Look at verse 21. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said the king of the Jews. Now, I would say, this would just be my view of looking at this this verse, they don't wait until Jesus is on the cross and the sign is up there to, to, to dispute this. My guess is, they probably watched the guy writing it. And when they saw what the guy had written, way back there at Pilate's palace or headquarters, they probably are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this isn't right. If their concern is only at the crucifixion, okay, what about all the people who saw the sign all the way to the crucifixion? They want this stopped. I think John's telling us this is what they did. They made an attempt to change it. They go back to Pilate and they dispute over the sign. Raised, you see, by the chief priest. Those who have been actively involved this whole time in seeking to bring about the crucifixion of Christ. We go back and we read, Crucify him, crucify him. What shall I do with the king of the Jews? Crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. It is raised by these chief priests, these men who yeah, got their job by paying off the Romans for the position. Men who are not really spiritual as much as they are political in nature. Men who are seeking to be as cooperative with Rome as they possibly can. They are in effect sellouts of the Jewish people. This this is where we see that merging so clearly of, of the religious realm and the political realm merging together under one. And they're giving it over. They're giving it over to the state. They're giving it over to Rome. Crucify. Them. Notice when it comes to Pilate saying to them back in ch- earlier in chapter nineteen, "You take him and do it." No, eh, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. We have a rule. We have a law. He he said he's the son of God. Hmm, what happened to the charge of being king? Well, you see. But you see, in particular, they don't like what Pilate wrote. They dispute this. They come to Pilate. I mean, you got to give these guys some credit. They're pretty persistent. Right? And, And they're stepping into territory that is pretty dangerous. I mean, they've kind of pushed Pilate pretty hard in this morning. Now, after Pilate has, uh, has basically already wrote, ordered his execution, they dare to come again and say, Pilate, we don't like what you wrote. They're tenacious. They're not giving up quickly. They're not going away silently. They have a point they want to make, and they're going to, are determined to make it. They're sticking to it wrongly are sticking to it. Do you notice the desired change? Look at 21. Do not write, the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. What's going on? Well, you see, they actually understand the dig that Pilate is giving here. Because you see the sign, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, really wasn't intended to be about Jesus. Pilate's message is to the chief priest. Pilate's message is to the Jewish people. Pilate is is, is digging under the skin and is saying... This is what Rome does to your king. Here's your king. Here's the one that you bow down to. Here's the one you magnify. Look what Rome does. Rome crucifies your king. You see, and he's playing upon these chief priests who have given him this kind of, oh, we have no king but Caesar. He knows full well they're lying through their teeth. So now he's going to just say, here's your king. I know what's under the surface. I know what's in your hearts. I, I, I can read you. Actually, one of the Gospels tells us that, that. That Pilate understands that they have brought Jesus to him out of jealousy. And out of a vindictiveness but you see they want him to change it hey hey don't don't take us on don't take the people on don't take our nation on don't take our religion on just say this man said see now it's all on jesus now jesus looks like the fool now jesus looks like the one who is The sign that's up there, that brings shame on all of us. Change it. Change it. Pilate, in an unusual way for Pilate, as we've read through this section, answers abruptly. Verse 22. What I have written, I have written. That's it. It's the way it's going to stay. I'm making no changes. I'm done playing your game. I'm done being pushed around by you. What I have written, I have written. So there's the sign. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It was supposed to be mockery. That's the way it's intended. It's not there to state some sort of fact that Pilate believes. It's not based upon some thoroughness of justice. It's just a mockery. It's just part of the, the shame that plays into this whole crucifixion. It told A partial truth Jesus is of Nazareth yes that would be partially true that would be a way of identifying who he is he was from the town of Nazareth although more correctly we would say he's Jesus of Bethlehem because you always identified yourself with your birth town Nazareth is where he grew up, but you see, if you use Nazareth, that's even more of a dig, because everybody knows nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It's partially true, Jesus is a king. Yeah, that that part is true, and yes, the Jews would fall under that, but it is so, so half quarter, ten percent, five percent true. Because the truth is much bigger, isn't it? That's not really a fitting sign to go on the cross. Give you a few minutes. Think. What is the fitting sign? What would be the full truth of the sign that should go on that cross. Not this one that Pilate makes up. Not this one Rome makes up. Not this one that the chief priests are arguing over. What's the mystery? Reality. Well, part of it we've already covered, haven't we? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, that which I rule over, that which I control, that which I am in charge of, is not of this world. What does that mean? It means it's not material, it's not physical, it's not limited to a section of land. Pilate is is seeking to say, well, you know, Jesus, yeah, he's king. This 30 by 60 little space of land, actually at that time it's smaller, yeah. Or Jesus is limited to one particular ethnic group. That's all he, he can be king of, these physical people who are part of an ethnic group. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not, in a sense, limited by time. It's not limited by space. It's not limited by race. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. King of the Jews? Oh, there's probably Jewish people in Christ's kingdom, to be sure. But is that all? No. No, the kingdom... The kingdom that Jesus is king of is much more expansive. So if you're going to tell the truth, if you're going to make a charge, then make the charge a true charge. Not a half charge, not a partial charge. Make it say what is really the truth. Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 is going to expand upon my kingdom is not of this world. In Matthew chapter 28, he's going to tell his disciples, all authority and all power has been given unto me. See how limited Pilate is trying to make this? And see how limited even the chief priests want to make it even more so? But the truth of the matter is this. Christ's kingdom is one in which he has been given all authority and all power. Rome has invented a term. Kaiser, Caesar, Emperor. It's a man-made term. It's a man-made term that that was supposed to be uh, a picture of the fact of, see, we have a Caesar, we don't have kings. Kings are so limited in their power. They're so narrow in their power. You know, the biblical word is king. I have installed my king on Mount Zion. See, whenever you hear the term emperor... That is used in this world, in world history, it always pictures man. It's man seeking power for themselves. God says, I have established my king. My king. He's the one who rules and reigns. Oh, Pilate is being so small. The Jewish people are looking in too narrow of a lens. My kingdom is not of this world. All authority and power has been given unto me. The extent of Christ's kingdom is far greater than earthly land. Christ's kingdom is far greater than a one nation. Three languages. Christ's kingdom is so expansive. That the title that he is given is the ca- title of king of kings and lord of lords. So that when we see that kingdom assembled in glory. It is from every tribe and every race and every language. Christ assembles his people. His kingdom. Jesus of Nazareth. King of the Jews. <sighs> How far short this sign falls. Jesus Christ, Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Which do you see? Which do you see on the cross? What sign do you live life under? How is your life governed? Are you governed by Pilate's sign? Are you governed by the chief priest's desired sign? Is that the way you look at life? Is that the way you view life? Is that the way you live daily life? Under Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews? Under Jesus of Nazareth, who said he was king of the Jews? Is that what you think of the one hanging there on the cross? Is that the sign you see? Or do you, with the eyes of faith, see the limitations of that sign? And you say, no, that's not right, Pilate. That's not right, chief priest. Yes, it's what you wrote, but it's not right. The one on that cross, the one there dying for me, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Because you see, only if you recognize that sign on the cross is there salvation. There is no salvation in Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That's the lie that Satan would have you believe. That's the lie he wanted those many to believe that day. But to know salvation, you need to know the one on the cross. Turn with me in our hymn books to number 375. And I pray that these are more than just words that you say, but that you sing this as your confession of faith this morning. It's the one that you acknowledge who died there upon the cross. All hail the power of Jesus' name.